So the native project's a you know pretty new thing. The simple way to think about it is it's building blocks to help us do serverless and applications on top of Kubernetes. What I think is happening in the industry is we're kind of all working together to build a new platform for application development. I think the challenge, at least right now with native, is it's a little bit of a plumbing project, if you know what I mean. Like it's building blocks that would be used to build other things more than I think it is a direct piece of technology you would use as an end user. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. So welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, I've got Jason McGee from IBM. Hey, Jason. Hey, how are you? Good. Yeah, so you are an IBM Fellow, VP, CTO of the IBM Cloud Platform. So that's a mouthful. It is. Do you want to explain what those acronyms mean and also what you do at IBM? Sure. So uh, let's start with what I do. I, I'm the technical lead for kind of platform as a service space on our public cloud. So I kind of do all things Kubernetes, serverless, and kind of uh, application platform for IBM. I'm an IBM fellow, which is a kind of senior, most senior technical rank within IBM. Nice. Yeah. I only recently learned what an IBM fellow, the, the term fellow is. Right. I don't know what, who it was and what article it was, but Microsoft specifically, for whatever reasons, why I would know that, um, they have fellows that as they absorb companies, they come yep. and they get that sort of like, it's higher than principal. Like, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, every company has a different thing, but fellows are usually on the technical side are usually kind of the, the top of the pile on technical leadership within the companies. IBM's had the fellow program since like 1963 or something. So we've been doing it for a while. Awesome. And I know you, we, we talked earlier as we were uh, preparing for the podcast that you've, you've been at IBM for a good amount of years. So how did you navigate yourself in like the serverless computing space? Because I know that wasn't a, a thing 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, sure. So you know, I started my career in IBM uh, 20-ish years ago in the app server space. I was actually the technical leads and chief architects for WebSphere App Server, which was a you know Java application server platform. I did that for kind of half my career. And then have essentially kind of always been the guy doing the new startup technologies within IBM's software business. So I did Converge Systems for a while. I did um, virtualization in the app server space. And over the last you know, four years, I've been doing cloud and uh, specifically containers and container-related technologies. So uh, you know, always kind of kind of help us um, blaze a course on uh, new ways that people build apps. Yeah, and like containers, like like serverless in container. And everything that's like that's definitely a pretty hot buzzword as yeah. of now, uh, within the last couple yeah. of years, and uh, it's definitely a space that a lot of people want to be in. So, I actually had you come on to talk about specifically the native project, yeah, and how that project uh, sort of correlates in that space, and like what is that project? Sure, so the native project's a you know, pretty new thing. Um, the simple way to think about it is it's building blocks to help us do serverless and applications on top of Kubernetes. You know, if we zoom out for a second, what I think is happening in the industry is we're kind of all working together to build a new platform for application development. You know, like 20 years ago, we were doing app servers, either in Java or .NET. And kind of that was the main way that people were building new server-side applications. In the cloud era, that's really happening around containers. 
And over the last few years, we've kind of all agreed on a few layers. You know, we all agreed on Docker and containers as a way to package software. We've all kind of agreed on Kubernetes as the way to manage a whole bunch of containers and keep them up and running and scale them. Uh, with the Istio project, we're starting to all agree on how container applications talk to each other over the network and how we can control that. And the next layer that needed some focus was, all right, well, what about serverless? And what about... 12-factor applications. Like, how do we bring that all together? Because those were container-based things, uh, but they weren't sitting on top of the same stack. And so the idea with the native project was, let's put in place some building blocks we can all agree on to help us build those kinds of apps on top of Kubernetes. Okay, so is native sort of like a, a better way to get started? Is that what the sort of approach that we're trying to accomplish with the, the project? Yeah, it's, it's really kind of a I think of it as a way to teach Kubernetes how to handle these different kinds of applications. Like serverless apps look a little bit different than a traditional container app. You know, they, they might not be running at all until you send in an event. They have to start very quickly and scale in a different way. And my view on it is, I think if you look at how real apps will get built, there'll be a blend. You know, you'll, you'll build some of the application in containers, you'll build some of it in serverless. You're going to mix these technologies together. And today, that's hard because, you know, a serverless platform and Kubernetes are completely different from each other. And with native, we can bring them together and we can stack them on top of each other. And we can do that in a way that's common so that as a developer, you don't have to, like, pick a proprietary serverless platform that only works in some places. You know, native will let us do that in a common way. Oh, interesting. So I, I read a couple of the articles before our, our conversation so I can get up to speed on the actual project. Yep. But when you mentioned that it can work with other platforms for serverless, so we're not sort of stuck with just OpenWhisk or like Google Cloud Functions or something like that. Like right. you could actually plug and play different solutions into this project. And that's where I think it'll enable us to go. Yes. Yeah. I mean that's part of the goal is like if you look at serverless platforms today, the big ones, the ones that are coming out of the cloud providers, so Lambda, Google Cloud Functions, uh, IBM Cloud Functions, which is based on OpenWhisk. You know, they're all essentially proprietary. Yeah. In the sense that they were developed on those platforms and they only work on those platforms. And the one exception is OpenWhisk, which we created at IBM and then open sourced and, and have Red Hat and some others working with us on. With native, I think what will happen is we can start to make those things more common and look at like how you build the code and how you register a function and an event and how you actually trigger execution and do those in a common way. And that'll allow those serverless frameworks to be more consistent with each other. Okay. And uh, so some more research that I wanted to touch on too. Is there involvement with other companies as well? I saw that Google's name dropped in like a lot of the uh, information and blog posts that are out there. Are you guys in partnership with any other companies to make sure that these things uh, collaborate with each other? Like in for the native project in particular? In particular with native, yes. Yeah, yes. So Google's part of it, IBM obviously, Red Hat's involved, uh, Pivotal is involved. Okay. And there's others that are that are looking in the background or working on getting there. So yeah, there's actually a pretty diverse consortium of people who have already said, let's go work together on this. You know, it's early. It's an early project, but you know, we're already seeing a lot of people rally around that platform. And it's been actually interesting to watch that in general, you know, the cloud native open source space. There's a lot of common view on how to move forward with that. And so a lot of these projects, Istio is another good example where Google and IBM founded that project and then we launched it and we had five or six more big players on launch day and tons of adoption right away. Like people are, are kind of collaborating very quickly together in this space. Yeah, that's good to hear. I love seeing like those types of partnerships 
because I, I don't do much backend code. I don't do all the uh, the containerizations. I actually appreciate it when Docker actually created the the native Mac Docker app because a lot of the work yep. for Docker was done by my infrastructure team at previous companies, and I kind of shied away from that because I love writing JavaScript code. Yeah. So I, I love having systems in place so I can just plug myself into it and this sort of read enough documentation so I can like break things. Yeah, sure. So it sounds like native. If I could plug two different architectures together, which is serverless and containers, and sort of have an idea of what I'm supposed to be doing with it, uh, it makes it a lot easier to have more people adopt um, technologies. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you look at Kubernetes in particular, it's an incredibly powerful platform. One of the criticisms maybe with Kubernetes is that it's got a big learning curve. Like There's a lot of concepts. Yeah. And so part of what Native is also helping do is say, all right, for certain kinds of applications like serverless apps, like 12-factor applications, like how do we give a simpler adoption of that platform? Right. And so if you look within native, there's like three big sub projects today inside of native. They're called build, serving, and eventing. Build is basically like, how do I go from source code to an image, to a container image automatically? Right. So as a developer, it's just like, here's my code, turn it into a container for me. I don't want to know how to do that. Uh, and that's what the build project is standardizing. Serving is like, I have a, an application, I have a URL I want to put it on, I'm going to make changes to it, like run this for me. Right. And then eventing is like, especially in the serverless space, is like, how do we actually agree on what the format of an event is and how do we trigger events so we can kind of wire serverless applications together? And so it's trying to provide another layer that simplifies how you use these technologies. Nice. So if I was myself naive into like this whole serverless space, container space, what's a good way to get started if I don't have the experience of, like, I don't have the experience of Kubernetes yet, how would you recommend me approach native in this cloud native space as a new intro into the serverless computing and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, the best way to learn something is to go do it, right? And yeah. one of the great things about the era we're in right now with cloud is you can go try things without having to be an expert in them. And so, you know, I think the easiest way to get started, whether it's with native or Kubernetes directly, is go pick a cloud platform that you like and try it out on that platform. You know, you can get a Kubernetes environment without knowing how to install and run Kubernetes. You know, on, obviously I work at IBM, so on IBM Cloud, you know, we have a managed Kubernetes service. In a few minutes, you can click a button and get kube and have that environment to play with. And then with native, like go to the GitHub project and you should be able to follow some simple instructions on how to kind of get going with samples to really understand the concept. So it's actually pretty straightforward to, to learn at least um, what these things are doing. So I guess the next step after you've gone through that, that process of sourcing the documentation in the GitHub project, are there any common like Hello World apps that you've seen since the launch or even while developing native as a, a platform? So for native itself, I think there are definitely a bunch of samples as part of the project that are trying to demonstrate how to exploit different capabilities. I think the challenge, at least right now with native, is it's a little bit of a plumbing project, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's building blocks that would be used to build other things more than I think it is a, a direct piece of technology you would use as an end user. Now, that may change over time. The project may evolve and, and have more of that end experience. So for example, at IBM, we have OpenWhisk as our functions platform. And you can go to IBM Cloud now and you can play with serverless. And you don't really have to know anything about how it runs behind the scenes. But over time, what works boring is how do we use native as part of the stack underneath WISC, OpenWhisk, so that 
as the developer, you can use some more standard artifacts for interacting with OpenWest that would be common across other projects, right? And so I think for native, you know, you can go play. Like if you really just want to understand how the project works, it's easy to go do that. But it isn't maybe the first place you would start in the cloud native space. So I want to sidestep and zoom out a little bit because I, I'm. I, it's not every podcast I get uh, such a high level engineer slash VP on my podcast. So and you've also have the experience. So I'm curious of what's your opinion of the space and how it's grown so far, and what do you think it's going to go next as far as cloud native. Like I think now people are starting to get Docker, and they're starting to get like uh, the last company I worked for. We just they actually just announced they got Kubernetes working as part of like the deployment structure. So what do you think is next, and how does like how is native going to sort of champion the next thing? Sure. So it's been actually really tremendous to watch the growth of the space, and one of the big challenges for somebody like me who's very deeply engaged every day in in kind of building these technologies and, and delivering them is keeping your finger on the pulse of like where real users are and adopting the technologies. Like you assume people are much farther along than they really are. But I do feel like, you know, almost everyone I talk to, um, whether it's startups or large enterprise companies, they're doing containers today. Most of them are doing some form of Kubernetes today. They've at least all decided on Kubernetes. I think for Kubernetes itself, the next couple of years is really going to be a massive tidal wave of adoption of that yeah. technology stack. And I think what's been interesting is we talk about it a lot as cloud native, which is sometimes code for building new applications. And there'll be a lot of that for sure. But Kubernetes and containers is also interesting for people because they can take existing applications and re-host them in a better way on a more modern platform. When you look at something like serverless, I think there's a lot of use cases where serverless is a really interesting way to build an app. But companies are trying to figure out, well, how do I do that in the diverse environments that I'm in? Like most big companies, they use more than one public cloud. They have some stuff in their data center and in public cloud. And so they're like, well, how do I use serverless when it's different everywhere? So I think native will influence that. It will help I think, accelerate the adoption more broadly of serverless across the industry because it'll help make it more consistent across the industry. Which is great to hear too, because like I, again, I had another first-hand experience of we, I'll just say it, like we got free AWS credits to run certain projects, yep. and we sort of locked ourselves into that infrastructure. Right. And then we had another project that we got free Google Cloud credits, so then we locked ourselves in that infrastructure where those two projects could never talk to each other. So, and I, I, I hear that a lot too, because um, like I'm sitting here in heavy bit. We've got lots of new companies up and starting, and they're no one's building their own servers. Everybody's paying, right. you know, with yeah. their free accounts to get started. So it's powerful to get people locked in earlier on, but it's also I think it's way more powerful to say, hey, here's a platform that you could potentially have those two projects talk to each other, or even if you wanted it, if you wanted to switch, you could. It's not going to take six months of prep and then right. sort of like downtime of shipping features. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, and it depends which kind of part of the industry you're talking about. Um, certainly in kind of the higher end, larger companies part of the industry, those kinds of locking concerns are really real. And it's been one of the things holding people back on, on cloud is... You know, I need the flexibility to have apps talk to each other to move things around, uh, and so that's prevented people. It's part of the reason why containers is and Kubernetes in particular is so powerful. Like, I, as you said, in the beginning, I've been in the industry a long time. It's the first time in the twenty plus years I've been in this industry that a single technology platform has been supported by literally everybody. Like every public cloud, every private cloud software stack, 
every virtualization stack, every operating system, like that's never happened, right? So as a end user, like you now have a way to build a container-based app and run it anywhere you want, right? With relatively low costs to switch. And I want the same thing to happen in serverless. Like I think for serverless to really become a mainstream thing, you need the same characteristic. And, and that's part of why IBM decided to participate in the, in the native project is to help make that real. And our whole strategy is built on top of open source. So we spend a lot of time on kind of fostering these projects. Awesome. So speaking of open source, is the native project, I mean, we can obviously we can look at the GitHub project, but how much of that is open source? Uh, can the listeners start picking around and piecing together how it works? Yeah, it's all open source. There's no... Um, private code branch anywhere since we've launched. So yeah, you can go to GitHub, go to the native project, you can start playing around, you can contribute. There's actually a, uh, some pretty good documentation already out there on how to get native installed and running on the Kubernetes platform of your choice. And there's a whole bunch of samples out there. So absolutely, yeah, you can get started. Awesome, that sounds very enticing. Hopefully listeners will give it a look and uh, see if it, it works for them, or if, or if not, if it doesn't, see if you can contribute back and make it work for you as well as everybody else. Uh, there's one more thing I didn't really touch on, which I, I sort of found in the discovering. Like, there's a Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Oh, yeah. Is that something that you're a part of or IBM is a part of? And like, what is, yes. what is that? Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are absolutely part of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. In fact, the, the uh, executive committee chairman is an IBM uh, employee. The Cloud Native Computing Foundation is a governance body for kind of governing the collection of technologies that are happening in the cloud native space. You know, one of the maybe less visible parts of open source is, you know, how do you actually have a governance model around open source that allows everybody to contribute fairly? And lots of technologies that are open source are not really openly governed. And in the container space, for example, you know, everyone is using Docker, and Docker was open source, but Docker was run by the Docker company, right? And so we worked with Docker and Google and Red Hat and a bunch of other people, and we created some of these foundations. The Cloud Native Computing Foundation now is crazy land. I mean, there's so much activity there. They're going to have their U.S. conference in December. It's probably going to be 7,000 people. You know, Kubernetes is obviously there. Container D is there. Like, all the big projects that kind of make up this modern stack I talked about are really being governed out of CNCF. And so it's a pretty important space, right? It's really the place to watch for where are the key technologies that we're all going to build our our apps on going forward. Yeah, I'll definitely keep uh, keep an eye on that foundation. Like I am, I'm very intrigued about the space. I'm not as heavily involved. Like again, I've my experience is mainly Docker. I haven't really gotten the orchestration side of it because that hasn't been my my day to day job. But I definitely encourage listeners to keep an eye on the foundation. Keep an eye on what's going to be shipped. Is there like a like sort of sort of pinnacle conference for cloud native as well? Yeah, so so that conference I mentioned in December, um, it's called uh, Cloud Native Con or KubeCon. Okay, gotcha. It's the same conference. Um, it's in December in Seattle this year. Uh, they have it in the U.S. and Europe and in Asia now every year. Is really the pinnacle place to go to learn about this. And you know, if someone's new to the space, one of the things I would encourage them to do is go to the CNCF website. They they have this thing called the CNCF Landscape, which is just a view of kind of all of the products and technologies in the space and how they relate to each other. <laughs> I've never seen a picture with so many uh, logos on it in my life, but it's a pretty good like overview of all the activity that's going on and all the kind of problems that are being solved for people around kind of app development. Awesome. Well, Jason, I really appreciate your time. I do want to transition us to picks. 
So listeners and, and Jason, these are jam picks. These are picks that keep us going. Things that perhaps a, a song you listen to while programming or exercising in the morning, maybe some sort of ritual you do while cutting fish, or even like a technology that you just found very interesting. So if you don't mind, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, my first pick is going to be coming up. Uh, so this podcast is called Jamstack Radio. So Jamstack, JavaScript, APIs, and Markup. Uh, there is a Jamstack conference happening here in San Francisco in October. So if you haven't got a ticket, uh, definitely check out jamstackconf.com. Grab a ticket or just keep an eye for the videos. Um, it's going to be some great content. They have an awesome lineup. My next pick is the last few episodes I mentioned. I had some paternity leave, had a new child come on into the family and join us. And now we're doing man-to-man coverage. With that, I spent a lot of time with my preschooler. And I rediscovered Pokemon in Pokemon Go. A lot of people probably played Pokemon Go like probably about two years ago for like the week that it was popular, including myself. For whatever reason, I think because of preschool, my son was telling me all about Pokemon. And I was like, oh, I know that. So we went to the library, got books, learned about Pokemon. And then I remembered there was a game that everybody liked. So I've gone knees deep into Pokemon and Pokemon Go, <laughs> and uh, I've been collecting Pokemon without my son. I, I do admit that I'm like, I am a level 25 trainer. If anybody plays, you know what that means. Are you cheating or playing for real? Like- oh, I'm, I'm playing for real. I, I live in, so I live in Oakland and I live on a pretty popular street. So there's okay. a lot of Pokestops, uh, a lot of gyms that are highly competitive. I also live down the street from UC Berkeley too. So we do get a lot of college students that come out uh, down my way that I have to battle cool. in gyms. So it's brutal, but I'm winning. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that I'm sounds time-consuming. I don't know. <laughs> well, I had seven about seven weeks off. So I think three weeks in, we figured out how to get the sleeping patterns working and the whole breastfeeding thing. And then I spent a lot of time just hanging out with my son. So I'm like, hey, do you want to walk to the park? Uh-huh. And go to the go to fight at a Pokemon gym or play at the playground. Yeah, that's cool. And that's sort of my life for the past four weeks has been Pokemon Go. Awesome. That's a good way to good way to burn the time when you have to just keep walking around to keep someone entertained. Exactly. So that's it for my picks. Uh, Jason, do you have any picks that are keeping you going? Um, this is maybe completely random and off topic, but uh, my my little side project lately has been three D printing. Oh, nice. Been getting into three D printing with my son. So, so my pick right now is the Creality CR ten three D printer. It's like a low cost, awesome home three D printer, and uh, so that's a pretty cool device. Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, and another great example of uh, the power of open source, like all open source firmware. Pretty cool space. That's totally pretty awesome. My new job. Well, Jason, I really appreciate your time. Sure. Thanks again for coming on, and listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 